For though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What's up, Christians? It's your boy. No, it's uh, Cody. This is uh, Cantus Firmus that you are watching or listening to. I'm trying out a slightly uh, new format today, uh, trying to incorporate the PowerPoint and have everything transition smoothly. So hopefully it works out for everybody who's watching. Those who are listening shouldn't really know a difference, notice a difference. But So uh, I want to talk to you today about saved by baptism, question mark. This is a study of the relationship between baptism and salvation in the New Testament. And it's based on the fact that uh, there are all these passages in the New Testament that suggest that we are saved at baptism. And as you can imagine, for evangelical uh, Protestants who um, want to emphasize uh, salvation by faith alone, um, that's, that's, a, that's a problem, right? So we're going to get into uh, all these passages and then uh, try to figure out if there is some way to reconcile uh, these uh, this uh, seeming conflict. So I'm going to start with the uh, question, what is baptism? And uh, hopefully once we've got this, uh, got a hold on this thing, we can figure out what it does and what it's for. So baptism is an initiatory rite by which one formally becomes a Christian. To be baptized is to be united to Jesus in his death and resurrection. We go down into the water to die as sinners and come out resurrected as a new creation. Um, and these are this is basically this, these these answers are, are from the Bible. They're summations of what what the Scripture tells us. Now, because baptism does unite each one of us to Jesus, it also unites us to one another, regardless of race, sex, or social status. So, we're initiated into the church through baptism. Um, it's a way of communicating um, or, or making, depending on how you read it, uh, but at least communicating at the very least that we are united to Jesus and his death and resurrection. And as, as a result of being united to Jesus individually, I'm united to Jesus, you're united to Jesus, therefore we're both united to Jesus and we are one together. And uh, in addition to that, I, I, it also serves as a reminder that we are Christ's. And uh, you, you can find that in Hebrews uh, 10.22. I'd like to add something else too outside of scripture, which is that we like to call baptism a sacrament. Now, what is a sacrament? Um, we'd like to say that sacrament is a um, um, an outward sign of an inward grace. Language like that is often used. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But originally, this is a Roman term, and uh, at the time of the um, around, right around the time of the New Testament and a little bit later, uh, sacrament means, um, it refers to this practice that the, uh, a Roman soldier would make of uh, doing this sort of formal verbal pledge of allegiance to Caesar. Excuse me. The second century father, Tertullian, argued that Christians make a pledge to Christ which is in conflict with making a pledge to Caesar, since God requires full allegiance. And he says in On Idolatry, chapter 19, 
There is no agreement between the divine and the human sacrament, the standard of Christ and the standard of the devil, the camp of light and the camp of darkness. One soul cannot be due to two masters, God and Caesar. So what I want to say about that is, sorry, one moment. <laughs> what I want to say about that is, um, you know, not only is Tertullian seeing um, a kind of conflict between God and Caesar, but um, bigger than that. Uh, baptism is this uh, communication, this pledge of full allegiance that just like a Roman soldier, you're willing to die for Christ. And so you, you, know, you go into the water to die <laughs> and you are dying to your own life, of course, but you're also pledging that you would be willing to die for Christ. And some baptism can be thought of as a pledge of complete obedience to Christ, of dying to other allegiances. Then we get into the real topic here. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2.38. Does this verse teach baptismal regeneration? Uh, regeneration uh, means to be born again. Uh, or, or another way to say it is, does it teach salvation by baptism? There are Christians who say yes. Um, so we have modern uh, denominations and Christian groups like Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox. Uh, they will believe that baptism, usually of infants, will bring people into the church and initiates this new life. Um, they allow for rare exceptions where an unbaptized person might be saved when baptism isn't possible. Uh, sometimes they'll call this the baptism of desire, that one wants to be baptized uh, but can't, like the thief on the cross, for example. Um, and so, um, in those rare exceptions, salvation can still be extended where there's no baptism. Uh, some Protestants uh, also affirm baptismal regeneration. Uh, Lutherans will claim that baptism, quote, works forgiveness of sins, end quote. And many in the Churches of Christ denomination will argue for something like baptismal regeneration. Uh, one is Pentecostals, a group which is arguably not even really Christian due to their denial of the Trinity would argue that baptism into Jesus' name, and you can't be into the Trinity, <laughs> is necessary for salvation. If you're not baptized in Jesus' name, sorry, if you're not baptized in Jesus' name, you're not saved. Um, we can also go back to the early church and we can find various uh, new, uh, early church fathers who seem to be saying something very much like baptismal regeneration. Uh, so let's look at the epistle of Barnabas. This is chapter 11, verse 11. We indeed descend into the water full of sins and defilement. However, we come up bearing fruit in our heart, having the fear of God and the trust in Jesus in our spirit. So we go in sinners, we come out uh, reborn with this new spiritual power. Justin Martyr in his dialogue with Trifo, chapter 86, Christ has redeemed us by being crucified on the tree and by purifying us with water. Uh, Irenaeus, in his Against Heresies, Book 1, Chapter 21, said Gnostics have been instigated by Satan to a denial of that baptism which is regeneration to God. Thus they have renounced the whole faith, for the baptism instituted by the visible Jesus was for the remission of sins. Then we have uh, Clement of Alexandria, in his The Instructor, Book 1, Chapter 6, We repent of our sins, renounce our iniquities, and are purified by baptism. We also have uh, various New Testament passages, so I'm kind of going backwards here, <laughs> uh, which suggest baptismal regeneration beyond that one that we looked at in uh, Acts 2.38. 
For example, John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I have to be born of water here for a second. Let me say. Get a little drink. Okay. It's uh, John 3, 5, if I didn't say it. So, uh, many will debate whether water is a reference to baptism in this passage. Uh, some would say um, it has to do with uh, the, the mother, a mother's water breaking when she gives birth to a baby. So first you're born of water in that sense, and then you have to be born of the Spirit. Uh, another reading would be um, that since Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who's a Jew, uh, that he's saying Jews were born of water when... Um, when God parted the Red Sea and brought us through and, and essentially saved our lives and made us a new nation. Um, however, I, I think when you think about the role that baptism plays in the New Testament church that produced um, John 3, 5, um, and you know, knowing that it's something that Jesus himself um, encourages his followers to, uh, to, to do, you know, he tells them to go out and baptize uh, you know, everyone and uh, in the name of uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, it seems that the most obvious reading of here is that water is baptism. Um, like I said, there are other views, but that does seem to be the most uh, obvious one. And if it is, <laughs> that would suggest that baptism is essential to becoming a Christian. You must be born of water or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We also have Acts twenty-two sixteen. And now why do you delay? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So in this verse, the Apostle, uh, the Apostle Paul is recounting his call to faith um, by a Christian named Ananias. Ananias here can, Ananias connects baptism with washing away one's sins. And that's another way to refer to being saved. If your sins aren't washed away, you're not saved. Romans 6.4, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And I'll add to that Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Uh, Paul refers here uh Paul refers to baptism here as a death to sins and a resurrection to new life, and this is salvation language. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Baptism is described as the method by which we join the Church, which is Christ's body. And, of course, this entails union with Christ, and union with Christ is salvation. Galatians 3.27, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This suggests uh, that baptism leads to union with Christ. So if being baptized with Christ is how you clothe yourself with Christ, how you become um, you know, Christ all around you, all in you, all over you, um, then, then baptism must be, arguably is necessary then to be, um, to be one with Christ. And here's uh, one of the big ones, 1 Peter 3.21, corresponding to being saved through the flood by the ark, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Now we'll we'll look at this uh, um, appeal to God for good conscience I think a little bit later, but for now, let's focus on this. Baptism now saves you in, in some way, shape, or form. Peter argues baptism saves us. So that's kind of I think the the, the scriptural and uh, you know church uh, patristic. <laughs> Uh, you know, early church fathers, that kind of stuff, evidence for um, a view of salvation through baptism. Um, but I think we can look at it practically as well. And um, there are some obvious problems with it um, from a practical standpoint, but there are some things positive that can be said for it. First of all, some have argued that faith is a kind of work. So as much as uh, Protestants want to say that we're saved by faith and not works, you could say, well, I mean, you have to muster up your faith. You have to continue in belief. It's something you do. So that's a work. Um, but baptism for infants emphasizes God's grace through the intermediary of his body, the church. So God is the one who saves. He uses other people as a, as a medium there. Um, he has the church baptize these infants, for example, in the, in the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox faiths. Um, but they don't add anything. The, the babies who are baptized don't add anything. To their faith right or to their salvation that's done by god through the church so you could argue that this is a a strong view of grace but also a strong view of um god working through his body the church um it also this this view of uh, salvation also communicates that what is saved by becoming part of god's church and not by beginning a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with jesus now there are benefits to thinking about salvation as a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus, namely um, that um, if you uh, if, if if you're in an area where the church there is no church or the church is corrupt, um, you can still say, "Well, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me, and I can uh, be confident in that, even if um, the church cannot be what it is ought to be in my life." On the other hand, the Bible is constantly talking about the fact that. When we're saved, we are brought into the church. This whole kind of body of Christ language, right? We're not saved to be uh, just me and my Bible under a tree talking to Jesus. That's this kind of Western individualistic approach. But that's not the way that the New Testament talks about salvation. So um, I think because baptism, uh, salvation through baptism, is this idea that we are saved when we join the church. We can make this declaration or someone makes it on our behalf, but we are brought into the church. That is what saves us. Um, that suggests that salvation is not just me and Jesus. It's it's more than that. It's me and in, 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 in the body of Christ joined to him. I also want to add that those who believe in baptismal regeneration have confidence that uh, babies and the mentally handicapped who can't believe in the sense that most adults can, uh, can still be saved and fully participate in the life of the church. So uh, if belief is not the primary barrier to salvation, the way evangelicals think about it, you know, if you believe you'll be saved, okay, well, what about the mentally handicapped, right? Um, what about those who are too young? Um, you know, I, I, let's say someone has a, uh, someone says, you know, I, I, I had a baby that was born not long after, or, or sorry, died not long after it was born. Uh, is, is this baby saved? And they'll say, you know, in the Catholic church, well, uh, you know, was he baptized, right? And so um, one a parent who says, yes, you know, uh, there was a baptism that was performed. Uh, the, the water was sprinkled uh, on my baby by the priest. And so therefore I can 
be confident that um, God has my baby, right? So um, there's that, but then of course, going back to the, this issue of the mentally handicapped, if you have a child who's mentally handicapped who can't believe in the sense that um, um, many adults could, uh, you could still say, you know, hey, they were baptized, they were brought into the church, and um, they're included in the kingdom of God, just like those who are able to believe through faith. Now, on the other hand, babies and mentally handicapped people who aren't baptized can't be known to be saved um, in this model. Um, and the same is true of those who believe but have not yet been baptized. So that these are the kind of the downsides of, of uh, this salvation through baptism model. Um, so I, I kind of alluded to the fact that evangelical Protestants aren't too keen on this uh, salvation through baptism thing. Uh, and I'll point to a couple... Well, I'll point to one particular verse in the New Testament, and then I'll, I'll look at a uh, kind of a representative kind of statement of faith that an evangelical church might make. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. So here in Ephesians, we are saved by God's grace. That means we don't do anything to deserve it. Uh, it happens through faith, through our belief. It doesn't come of ourselves. It's not some work that we do or, or could do. And some would argue that rules out baptism. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works like baptism or circumcision or anything else. And therefore, no one should boast about it. It's something that God just says, if you trust me, um, I'll forgive you your sins and you will be joined to Christ. And that's it. Um, I also have here a, a statement of faith from a... Um, uh, uh, an evangelical church that is in my area that I've participated in and uh, helped out in various ways. And they say, salvation is a gift from God to man and is received by faith. We can never make up for our sin by self-improvement or good works. We can only receive salvation from our sin by trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once we make our confession and commitment to Jesus Christ, all sins are forgiven, our relationship with God is established, and eternal life begins. So here we have a confession of sin, trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and faith as the means by which we're saved. A commitment is mentioned as well, so that's that's kind of unique because a lot of churches will emphasize that because they feel like making a, a commitment uh, suggests a promise to do work. Um, but nevertheless, um, there's a strong sense of confession of faith, of belief, so on and so forth. So the question is, is there a conflict between baptism saving us, as we read in 1 Peter 3.21 and, and elsewhere, and being saved by faith instead of works, as we read in Ephesians 2.8-9? Uh, and for those who are listening, uh, this, this next slide says, saved by baptism, question mark, and then there's a, a headline from the fake news site, The Onion, which says, Raid introduces holy water-infused spray that allows cockroaches to be baptized and die as Christians. Uh, now, the joke, of course, is that if baptism is this thing that's done to you um, without your faith or assent, then why not baptize cockroaches and save them, right? Now, of course, Catholics would, would probably cringe at this because, uh, you know, Jesus did not come to save cockroaches. He did not become a cockroach. He was not united to cockroach, uh, cockroach nature in order to redeem it. Uh, he, he became a human to save humans. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, that's, that's the joke.
Um, so, I mean, is baptism always stated to be the means of salvation in the New Testament? We read these passages that suggest that baptism is what saves us, but uh, presumably there are others that evangelicals look to um, when they are uh, arguing for salvation by faith. So let's see. Acts 2.21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is Peter speaking, the Apostle Peter, and he's quoting the Old Testament prophet Joel and suggests that salvation comes to anyone who turns to God in faith. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, sa will be saved. Not who calls on the name of the Lord and is baptized, but who simply calls. Now, this is, of course, in the same chapter as the Acts 2.38 passage we read, uh, you know, re repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, so, you know, is there is there a tension or a contradiction? Uh, we have these verses, you know, pretty close to each other. So, all right, uh, Acts 3.19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. There's no reference to baptism here. Uh, our sins being wiped away is based on our repentance, our turning around and, and coming back toward Jesus. Uh, oh, and this one's kind of longer, so I'm going to go ahead and pull it up. This is Acts 15, 8 through 11. And God, <clears throat> sorry, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. Who's, who's speaking here? This is uh, Peter, as I recall. He's speaking to his Jewish brethren, and he's saying uh, to them who are, who are concerned about Gentiles being saved, especially without um, being circumcised. And he says, listen. Uh, there was this big event I was at where all these Gentiles were saved. The Holy Spirit pours out on them, right? And if God didn't make any, going to say verse nine, he made, God made no distinction between us and them. He cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? The yoke, uh, in this case, is circumcision, this having to do this act in order to get in, to be good with God, or at least to be perceived as being good with God. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. So all these Jews who um, are teaching that all these works have to be kind of maintained, that circumcision has to be done to get in. Um, Peter says, you know, that's, that's, that's too much belief. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. So Acts 15, 8 through 11, uh, as we just read, in contradiction to some Jewish believers who said that one cannot be saved without being circumcised, Peter says that God had cleansed the hearts of Gentiles by faith through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Acts 16, 27 through 31. Let's go ahead and pull that one up. And now I should be quicker because I've got this kind of, uh, hopefully all these kinks worked out now. Acts 16, 27 through 31. And when the jailer who had arrested uh, Paul and Silas had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors opened, his angel had let them out, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, 
believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. Now, they do. And then in verse 33, we read that they are baptized. But Paul does not say here, believe and be baptized and you shall be saved. He simply says, believe. So when Paul and Silas are asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They respond, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's it. Uh, Acts 10, 44 through 48. So this is the event that we spoke about earlier where all these Gentiles are getting saved. Acts 10, 44 <laughs> through 48. And I'll get this on the screen here. One of these days. All right. Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. He's preaching here to these Gentiles. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Okay, so get back to the PowerPoint. <laughs> Cornelius and those Gentiles who are with him hear the word preached about Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. And then they speak in tongues. But they haven't been baptized yet. That comes at the end, right? So what's going on here? The baptism comes later. They're filled with the Holy Spirit even before baptism. As you read the book of Acts, um, baptism usually is connected with being filled with the Holy Spirit. But here, the being filled with the Holy Spirit happens before. So they're not just saved. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, as strong evidence of that, they even speak in tongues, which you only read about that happening two or three times in the book of Acts. But this is one of them. So it's like almost like to underline the point. Um, and so, yes, they do go on to be baptized. Peter even says, uh, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so baptism and salvation are still nevertheless closely linked. But in what way? Well, there are some potential solutions for reconciling salvation by faith and salvation by baptism. One is to say that baptism isn't a work, but an act of faith. Therefore, there's no contradiction between baptism by faith uh, or sorry, salvation by faith and salvation by baptism. So that's one way to do it. That's the way that um, I think Lutherans often have done it. Uh, because Lutherans, of course, following Luther, they want to say very strongly that we're saved by faith apart from works, right? But they also really want to hold on to this salvation by baptism thing. So they say, well, there's not a contradiction uh, because baptism is not a work, it's an act of faith. I suppose you could <laughs> work an act or synonyms, um, so you could call it a work of faith, but anyway. Another way we could try to reconcile this is to say, uh, well, believing Christians are told to be baptized, and if they refuse, they must not be sincere Christians, because sincere Christians will obey Jesus. Thus, baptism is a sign of true salvation, but it doesn't actually save. Now, I think this is putting the cart before the horse. There's nothing in the New Testament that says, well, if you don't want to get baptized, you must not be saved. It says, saved by baptism. <laughs> baptism saves you. And so um, I think this is really just kind of messing up the order and trying to kind of uh, shove um, salvation by faith alone into these passages that aren't uh, explicitly teaching it. Um, 
The third uh, way we could try to reconcile this, and this is pretty close to what I want to say, is that baptism points to our participation by faith in the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, earlier we read 1 Peter 3.21, which I will now pull up, and we'll see if I can do it fast enough so that you don't fall asleep listening to me talk. So Peter's talking to... Uh, um, talking about um, the days of Noah when there were eight persons who were brought safely through the water. And he says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's a couple things that you could emphasize here. One is, yes, he does say baptism saves you. Uh, but he does also point out that we're not talking about this kind of physical act of baptism. It's not the removal of dirt from the flesh. That's not, that's not what baptism is about. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience, right? So this is uh, an act that someone partakes in, um, basically saying, I believe, I have true faith. Uh, this is, I guess, somewhat similar to this idea of what Luther says is uh, baptism is a is an act of faith, right? Um but the idea really is that participation that we are uh, that with the resurrection of christ is what we're participating in and that's what peter wants to emphasize and um i'll go on a little bit so we talked a little bit earlier about what baptism is and, and i want to kind of recap that and also maybe restate it in some other ways baptism is first of all a formal initiation that makes our joining the church official and thus seemingly more real. It's a declaration of our union with Christ. The public repentance that follows and makes known our private repentance. So we privately believe and we publicly um, 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 demonstrate that through baptism. It's an outer sign that acts out the reality of our inner cleansing. So we would not be getting baptized if something, some work had already not already been done in us. And so we act that work out. Um, through baptism. Yes, we have been joined to Christ. We have been buried with him and uh, our old man is dead and now we're raised up to new life. And that happened when we believed. But baptism acts out that reality. Um, it's also a figure of what actually saves us. Our death to sin and resurrection to new life through union with Christ is what actually saves us. And I think that is that is what Peter is getting at in, in 1 Peter uh, uh, 3 there. That um, it's this uh, pledge or appeal. I'll pull it up here so I don't misquote it. A uh, in the new uh, New American Standard, an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's something happening that we're doing. We're uh, we're asking. Uh, we're making this appeal uh, or a pledge. I think is another word that's used. Uh, I'll pull up some other uh, Bible translations here. Appeal is used in Ameri uh, English standard version the esv king james says the answer of a good conscience toward god so it's a response um, that comes out of our having a good conscience right uh the net bible says the pledge of a good conscience the niv is the pledge of a clear conscience and we could uh we could add more of those but but the idea is there's something that's happening in us and it's calling out to god and, and expressing this inward truth in an outward way. Um, but what's really going on is that we have died to sin and we are being 
uh, raised to this new life because of our union with Christ. So that being said, I mean, if baptism is this way of sort of officially becoming Christians, even if we you know, are really Christians when we believe, um, then should we mark our becoming Christians when we first believed or when uh, we were first baptized, right? So, I mean, there are passages that seem to say that we are saved and we're baptized, passages that seem to say that we're saved and we believe. So, which, which, should, we, which should we say? And I'm going to argue that we could say both. And it's because salvation is one of those things um, that can be um, stated to have multiple beginning points in, in different senses. And, and there are other events that are like this. So marriage comes to mind. Uh, when the license is signed, um, you could say, okay, we're married. Uh, when the minister makes the pronouncement uh, during the ceremony, you could say, okay, that's when we're married. Uh, or you could say at consummation um, or you know, sexual intercourse. And in fact, an unconsummated marriage can be annulled, which is to say it can be declared invalid, even though the ceremony and the signing and everything else was legitimate. So uh, by all appearances, everything was done properly, but because it wasn't followed up with, um, you know, a sexual act, it wasn't, it's, it's declared invalid. It's like it never happened, right? So um, in that sense, you could say maybe marriage begins at consummation. And you go back to the ancient world, and um, when one is engaged, it's just as good as if they're married. Uh, but consummation is also a, a pretty major event, uh, as well as this uh, ceremony that's 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 under underwent. Uh, another event uh, you could point to like that is a new presidency in the United States. So you could say, you know, when the votes are all tallied, or or when they're um, enough of them have been tallied that we could know who's won, right? If you watch CNN or Fox News they'll say this we're declaring so and so the winner right and and then at that point everybody goes okay that's the winner right but those results aren't certified until congress certifies them and that happens um in a couple of months later right but then um that certification process happens but they don't take office right away that that happens later still um at the inauguration ceremony uh is when that's officially marked and so you could kind of mark those things differently as well uh, or, or those you could mark a presidency in those different points as well when that begins um graduations like that right so um um i, I thought about skipping my graduation from high school um and i could have and you know i would have gotten my final grades and i would have said okay I've, I've graduated right but we really kind of think of being graduating as as that time when the diploma is handed to you at the ceremony so there is a practical beginning point uh, to graduation, but then there's also a ceremonial beginning point. And I'll add one more, God's redemption of Israel. Uh, Israel celebrated God taking them out of slavery in Egypt and, and argued that that was kind of when they began um, as a people, when they are redeemed by God. But a lot of Old Testament texts will connect this moment of, of being redeemed, um, not with the Jews leaving Egypt or the Passover, but the Red Sea crossing, that's when it really happens, right? So what about Christians? Um, do we become Christians at belief or at baptism? And I want to say, first of all, that I think this was a moot question in the early church because baptism followed immediately after belief. We, um, today, often like to 
place this period of reflection or what might be called catechesis between belief and baptism. And I think it comes from what Jesus talked about in counting the cost, right? Um, if you're going to be a Christian, Christian, you need to know what it might cost you and be ready to pay it, right? But that's not what the early church did. They they jumped into it, right? And so for them, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the distance in time between belief and baptism was pretty small. And so um, it was it was kind of a moot question. You know, when did I get saved? Well, I mean, if you, if you don't think you're saved yet, you're just about to get baptized. So no, no worries, right? Um, so it wouldn't even really be a question, I think, that, that they would care that much about. Nevertheless, it isn't improper to think of our being saved or joining Christ's church when we believed, but also to consider ourselves as joining the church formally when we were baptized. So it's kind of both. So if you're a Christian and you're wondering, what should I do? Or, or you're about to think about becoming a Christian, rather, and you're wondering, what should I do? I would say, know that you're saved by God's grace through faith, and then be baptized. Because baptism is treated as something very important uh, for Christians to undertake, um, to formally join the church, and to make a public declaration of their faith. So I've got a few kind of questions to chew on. One is, why don't we emphasize baptism as much as the early church did? Why do we, uh, evangelicals anyway, uh, not want to talk about it very much? And, and I think personally that part of the answer is because it throws a little bit of a monkey wrench in our salvation by faith thing, because scripture gives us a somewhat more complicated answer than we would like it to be. Um, that doesn't mean that salvation by faith is not what scripture teaches. It's just that we want it to be taught in such a simplistic way that it doesn't. And so we have to deal with all these passages together if we're going to represent the Bible accurately. So knowing that we've gone too far in one direction, how can we recenter baptism without overstating its importance? And that's something I think for maybe for you to chew on. Uh, and I'd like to, if you're watching this or, or even listening to this, if you want to share in the comments or um, send me an email, Cody at Cantus-Firmus.com, let me know what you think. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, pop it in the comments. How can we recenter baptism without overstating its importance, without teaching a uh, an absolute salvation through baptism and not through faith? Um, and one last question, uh, kind of building on my um, sexual intercourse <laughs> uh, discussion about marriage. In some states, a couple can become common law married by simply living together without having a wedding. This is usually thought of as a lesser kind of marriage, still real, but not the kind of public declaration of commitment that marriage should be. Uh, you know, the guy who says, you know, oh, why do we got to, you know, make this official and ruin it? You know, that whole thing, right? Um, you you kind of wonder, well, why would you not want to, right? You know, what, what are you trying to, why are you so afraid of, of making it official, making a public declaration, right? So I guess my question is, are unbaptized Christians, who, whom we might think of as common law Christians, are they missing out on something important by neglecting this part of their faith, by neglecting baptism, by neglecting this public declaration and this experience of being able to point to this event and saying, uh, you know, this was when I, I made this public declaration and when I was communicating and um, internalizing and uh, making almost more real in a sense this fact that I had died to my old self and I had died with Christ and was being resurrected with him. So anyway, those are, um, those are my thoughts on after a long period of, uh, of trying to kind of study these questions out. And I hope that this will be helpful for those who are uh, listening or watching. 
once again, I, I hate simplistic answers that don't uh, line up with reality. And uh, I'm somebody who wants to follow scripture wherever it, it goes. And I think that there are good reasons for uh, the Protestant emphasis on uh, justification by faith. Uh, but we can overstate it to the point that we are not saying exactly what Scripture says, right? And while I do believe we are justified by faith, um, Scripture also wants to emphasize that baptism is this way of acting out this salvation in a way that we could say in one sense that we are saved when we're baptized. And if we can't put that data together, then we're not really working hard to represent scripture accurately. We're just trying to pull a verse out here or there to support our tradition. And I think we can do better than that. So I thank you for uh, being willing to uh, listen and also maybe watch. And I uh, appreciate your time. And once again, would like to see or uh, read any or hear any comments that you have on, on my thoughts here. Thank you so much.